Are you sure? Good Sunday has been had by all. Um, there it is. Thank you, James. It's fantastic. Um, so, does anybody know who hasn't heard already today what the answer is to this question? What this is that this guy, I know this is a man, but what this guy is wearing. Does anyone know what it's called? It contains bits of the Torah, yeah? Do you know what the thing is called, though? Can't remember your RE lessons. Anyone? Begins with T. Or P, actually. It can be either. Tefillin or phylacteries. Tefillin. Now you're impressed. You can remember that for a pub quiz. Um, You know, in uh, the book of um, Deuteronomy, right near the beginning of the Bible, you'll recognize... Um, the words that are said in this um, piece of text. But in those boxes, there's one on the head and one on the arm, okay? And they're tied by leather between the hand, the arm, and the head. The one by the, the arm is near to the heart. And it says this in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Ah, that's what's going on. This is a a start of a new series that's going to be happening over the next series of weeks about spiritual disciplines. And we're beginning today with understanding about life as worship. And then we're going to look at a whole... A host of other things, and it's talked about in the notice sheet. But when you read that, love the Lord your God with your head, with your hands, with your heart, the things you think, that you do, that you feel. You get the feeling that worship is actually about all of who you are, it's about the all of everything. And maybe, not just that, but maybe it means that everything is spiritual. I don't know how many of you have ever had your um, eyes tested at the opticians. And they do that, is it better with the red or is it better with the green? Do you, do you, do you have that? And they speak like that, don't they? they go, all of them. It's part of their training. Is it better with the red or is it better with the green? And it's just really difficult if you can't tell and you're going I don't know but I'll say one of them anyway it's binary isn't it it's like is it this or is it that it's a zero or it's a one and we do exactly the same thing we have a binary mindset we go it's either in or it's out we don't necessarily use that voice we either say something secular or something sacred something is and something isn't. And when it comes to our understanding of worship, we do exactly the same thing. 
We go, this is, but this isn't. And we think like this. Okay, we imagine this. That there are some things that are. God exists in these things. And there are some things that aren't. There are some things that's secular. There's something about the fact that we think some things are holy and some things aren't. Some things are red, some things are green. But what if it was really that everything was spiritual and that God was in everything? Because if that is true, then that completely changes the way that we understand what worship is. Completely changes it. Completely changes the way we view things. This has got more to do with the Greeks than it has to do with the Bible. And I don't mean the current Greeks. This has got more to do with Plato and that way of thinking. This is what you find when you read through the Old Testament in particular. Maybe we aren't seeing and understanding worship as we should or could. It's like we've forgotten what is true. Just think about some of the things it says in the Old Testament. That the people walked with God as if God was fully present with them and they were fully present with God. That God could be found on the mountain that God could be found in the wind, that God could be found in the burning bush, in the manna that came from heaven, in marriage, in farming, in the sunshine, in the family. But somehow, God got put in a box and got carried wherever we wanted God to be taken. So God ended up being here, but God wasn't there. This was holy, but that wasn't holy. This was worship, but that, that wasn't worship. Rather than us noticing that God was everywhere, that we went. We placed God inside a temple, which meant there was in and there was out. And I think when it comes to worship, we often do the same thing. So we put God in our songs and in our buildings. This is where God is. And our mountaintop experiences. And he was already outside whispering to us that he was there. And in the people that we struggle to love. Richard Raw who is a marvel, said this. The world is the hiding place of God and the revelation of God. Everything is spiritual. That God is present in everything. But maybe the trouble is that we aren't awake to it. We're more like zombies, the walking dead. 
I'm not saying that's how you, although, no, no, I'm joking. We're not alert to it. When I was uh, little, my um, mum used to wake us up, us kids up, by getting a really cold, wet flannel coming into our bedrooms and literally, you know, rubbing our faces and anything else she could find to get us out. Just to wake us up, I recommend you try that if you ever need to get anyone out of bed. Why? Because it was like, get up, wake up to that. That the world is the place where God is. God's hiding. It's the place where God is revealed. And the trouble is that we just can't see it. Um, a few uh, weeks ago, I was messing around, well, pretending to do some exercises with this kettlebell. It's only five pounds. It's nothing impressive. Don't worry. You know, wow. Um, but I was um, doing that one where you stretch it over your back. You know that one? And then you bring it over the top. <laughs> Just watch what I'm not going to do it again, that's for sure. And then I had a moment um, of, I don't know, just lost concentration. And suddenly the kettlebell went just like that, except it was in front of my head. And I whacked my head with the kettlebell. It woke me up. And when we come to worship, understanding what worship is, we need that kettlebell moment. Wake up to this, this truth that everything, that God is present in everything. Every minute that we are alive and breathing, God is present in. That knock on the head changes the way you see. God is fully present all the time. And all that's missing is our awareness of it. That breath that you just took just then, that one. God was present. God's breath in you. That person you talked to today that brought you joy, God was present. That person that annoyed you today, God was present. Each encounter you had yesterday and everyone you've had today and everyone that you'll have tomorrow, God is present. It's not that he's in some things and not in others. It's not red or green. It's all of it. Right there, that moment, God is present. And our job is simply to wake up. There's a a phrase that's used in um, uh, Celtic spirituality. Um, It's this phrase, thin places. Have you, have you heard this before? Where it's this idea that there are moments in our lives and places and spaces in our lives where it almost feels like heaven literally touches earth. And uh, uh, the, uh, those followers of Celtic spirituality used to describe it as a thin place, like it was a threshold moment that somehow there was this reduction of difference between heaven and earth. My suggestion is that actually all of life, all of life is meant to be a thin place. The whole of it. That every moment should be like it. And when you look at the tefillin, 
on the head, the heart, the hands, the things we think, the things we feel, and the things we do. They are that reminder to wake up. Worship is about the all of everything, and God is present in the all of everything. And everything is about worship. Everything. What is worship really for? I think it's about decentering our egos, genuinely. It's about saying that there's a king that's other than us in the whole of our lives. There's um, a really weird phrase that Jesus said, I bring the sword. That feels a bit... No, he didn't. He said, love others. It's a weird thing, isn't it? It's funny, people don't often talk about this phrase. Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring the sword. It seems out of character. But what if this was about bringing disruption to our egos? What if this was about Jesus saying, I haven't come to affirm you in your ego. I've come to disrupt it. I've come that you might know that God is present in all things and he is king. Because what worship does is it takes us to the core of who we are and it should change us and it should transform us. It shouldn't be a fix, but it should be a moment of surrender. It shouldn't be a fix, but it should be a moment of surrender. Um, A friend um, that's known to Flick and I, um, they recently moved into a new house. And it's a very big house, and it's in Exeter, very near the cathedral. And um, uh, they had some visitors come round, and the visitors had got uh, some children, and the children ran around the house. It must have been like going into like the the house, in, you know, in you know, when they're playing run around in Lion the Witch in the wardrobe. And these kids found um, this door that the adults hadn't caught up with, and um, one of the uh, children just opened the door and shouted through the house to all the adults who weren't with them, "There's more house." <laughs> because they found this secret stairway that went somewhere else. What worship does is it takes us beyond what we know, not only of God, but of ourselves. It takes us beyond where we are and says, there's more. There's more. The darkness needs to become light. And what worship does is it decenters the me that refuses to go there. There's more house, less of me, and more of you, God. And I think that's what's going on in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Seems a weird connection. But in this uh, parable that Jesus told, there's these characters, aren't there? There's the priest, poor old priest. What does he do? He's on his way from Jerusalem to Jericho. Why is he making that journey? Well, that means he's been working for two weeks in the temple. If you're working for two weeks, that means he's ritually clean. He's done it all. He has done that worship which has made him clean. He has been residing in and near and round the Holy of Holies, doing the sacrifices that were required. And he comes across a wounded man. 
Now the trouble with the wounded man was he was naked. (laughs) A problem. Why was it a problem? Because what you wore then let other people know what you were. If the wounded man was a Jew, you would be able to tell by what he was wearing. If he wasn't a Jew, you'd be able to tell by what he was wearing. The priest couldn't go near the man to see what he was, because if he touched him, he became defiled. All the, the, the purity that he had gained from his two weeks of service would be lost. If he was dead, he became defiled. If he wasn't a Jew, he became defiled. He was caught. What should he do? And he thought about himself and he realized that if he went back to the temple and those who were um, around him, his fellow priests, found out that he had touched this person, then it says that they would be allowed to split open his brain with clubs. Those are the kind of friends you want, aren't they? They were able to split open his brain with clubs. So he, he made a choice. And his choice was about himself. He wanted to stay clean. It wasn't about love. It was about me. So he chose to walk by. And then the Levite comes along. Levites were assistants to the priests. Now it would have been very, very bad for the Levite to do anything other than what the priest had done. A Levite wouldn't presume to interpret law differently to a priest. And he was worried about his reputation. So he chose to walk by. And then comes a Samaritan. Samaritan has a different view. The Samaritan looks at what he sees and he realizes that it's not this, but it's this. And in this unconscious man is the image of God. God is in everything. And everything is spiritual. And in this man was the image of God. And in Deuteronomy 6 and then in Leviticus 19, we get this um, transformation of this uh, phrase that I read out to you at the beginning. Where it says, love the Lord your God with everything you've got. And then Jesus says, and love your neighbor as yourself. Worship is to love. To love. This is what worship is. It's about the whole of everything. It's about the way you do every moment because God is present in every moment. It's about our money. It's about our houses, the homes that we choose to live in. It's about um, the children that we care for. It's about the friendships we have. It's about the way we treat the poor. It's about the way we are with the lonely. It's about the rest that we choose to take or refuse to take. It's about the mortgages we have. It's about sex. It's about sexuality. It's about joy. 
It's about pain. It's about the valley experiences and the mountaintop experiences. It's about others and it's about our egos. It's about work. It's about life. It's about justice. And it's about peace. Everything is spiritual and God is in the everything and therefore how we are in the everything is our worship everything is spiritual and God is present in the all of everything so I don't know if you're familiar with this but the word profane comes from Latin profanum which actually means outside the temple. Things that are seen as bad, profane, unholy, are seen to be the things that are outside of the temple. Some things are good. Some things are bad. Some things are in. And some things are out. So it's Good Friday We know the narrative, don't we? It's Good Friday. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he cries out his last breath and then something happens. It's hoping I'm strong enough. No, it's the other end. Something happens, doesn't it? And the temple, the curtain in the temple literally rips. The in and the out, gone. Profane, gone. God is in everything. The temple curtain is torn in two. God broke out. There's no more divide. Everything is spiritual. And God is present in everything. So every moment of ours is an act of worship. A prayer of St. Patrick says this. God beneath you, God in front of you, God behind you, God above you, and God without you. And Jesus said, love this God. The one beneath you, in front of you, behind you, above you, and without you. With all your heart, with all your soul with all your mind and your strength. And then he said, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what worship is. Everything is spiritual and God is in everything. The world really is the hiding place of God and the revelation of God. That breath you just took, that person you just looked at, the one we just ignored, everything is a thin place. Everything. Where heaven and earth meet and God is present in all those things. And our job is simply to wake up and see what is true. And to love God in every moment. Because this moment is all we have.